It's time to get a bit messy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, football friends from all around our world, welcome to episode seven of the Getting a Bit Messy show here in the WECB studio. I, as always, am your host for the day, Connor Donovan. You'll have to excuse my voice for today. I'm a little bit under the weather. Joined by my wonderful co-host and football friend, Nandan Nair. But Nandan, you'll notice that we're back to being a man down in the studio this week as Thomas has uh, received a red card and is suspended for tonight's match. No, I'm just kidding. Thomas is just uh, not in the Boston area with us tonight, so hopefully we are hoping to have him back next week. You know, Connor, I'm, I'm feeling a bit like Spurs lately. You know, we're, we're always a man down. Oh my God, when's it going to end? <laughs> when will it end? This week, um, we've had a bit of a mix of this week. Thomas, unfortunately, of course, is not with us Um and I think he's going to miss a very fun episode because this week was a bit of a mix with some league action this past weekend, immediately followed by the next round of international matches. As we all know how much we love a good international break, Andan, ruining the uh, momentum of our clubs. Anyways, that makes things a bit interesting for this week as there's definitely some action to cover, but probably not as much as normal for our show, which is actually a perfect opportunity, I think, to work in a brand new segment as a special edition for this episode only. So more on that to come in a little while. I'm very excited about it, though. So, Nandan, we've got a couple breakdown matches to get to and then some quickfire notes. But we'll take a short break and then do our special edition segment before Honker of the Week and predictions at pace for this week's matches. So are you ready to get a bit messy in the WECB studio tonight, Nandan? Yep, let's do it. Awesome. We're going to jump right in with your club with a big match in the Premier League then with Chelsea drawing the reigning Premier League champions, Manchester City, for all. Oh my God, Connor. All I have to say is, uh, regardless of the result, I think we can agree now that Chelsea are the entertainers of this league. Um, Back-to-back, arguably games of the season at this point. Uh, It's it's an incredible game, uh, and we have so much to break down. Yeah, 100%. First of all, let's just start by the fact that Chelsea have put four goals past the reigning (laughs) Premier League champions. A team that's been struggling to score goals this season managed to score four against the best team in the league, so that's a bit odd to me. So City took the lead after a very close and tightly contested um, opening 20 minutes. Um, Erling Holland opened the scoring from the spot after a tangle with Mark Kukurea. Again, a bit of a controversial decision from VAR there. I think both Holland and Kukurea are probably tugging on each other a little bit, Um, but Holland gets away with it, and Kukurea doesn't. And Kukurea is penalized, and Holland gets a penalty. Yeah, I have to say, I know we talked about this, Connor, last week, the idea of um, the clear and obvious. Uh, This is one of those where, uh, if you asked me, I think Holland kind of like had that whole shoulder grab and threw him around, and because he threw him, that kind of caused Kukurea to stumble around with him. So in my opinion... I'm a bit iffy on the penalty. Uh, At the same time, though, when you go to the VAR review, uh, I don't think the referees can argue there is any clear and obvious error. Therefore, I understand why the penalty was given. Um, But, you know, a bit of a tough one. But either way, you know, he's one of the best. He puts it away. Can't say much about it. Erling Holland probably isn't going to miss an opportunity that you give him from the penalty spot, is he? (laughs) Nope. Um, So City found themselves 1-0 up. And then Thiago Silva, of all people for Chelsea, was the one to level the scoring just 10 minutes later off of a corner kick, and what a beautiful run that was from Thiago Silva on the corner. Insane run, Connor. You know, he makes his way, he starts at the edge of the box, and then if you watch him, he kind of like does a little bit of a stutter step, and right as the ball is whipped and he quickly darts towards the back, uh, the near post, completely catches, I believe it was Ruben Diaz, completely catches him sleeping. 
Uh, incredible header into the near post. And also, with that goal, he becomes Chelsea's oldest goal scorer ever at 39 years old. Which I think, by the way, the fact that he even has the legs to make a change of direction <laughs> in a stutter step like that at that pace at 39 years old is a bit ridiculous, if we're being completely honest. I'll tell you, Connor, uh, I don't have the knees to do that, and I'm 19. Uh, so him at 39 doing that is a bit absurd, if you ask me. Things got a little bit chaotic next as Raheem Sterling then was the one to give Chelsea the lead after a mistake in the box by Yasko Gvardiol. And your quote from this one is just in all caps, what is going on? You know, um, if you told me last year that at some point we would uh, come back from behind to lead Manchester City, the Manchester City 2-1, um, I would have called you crazy. Um, obviously, it was an error at the edge of the box by Yasko Gvardiol. Uh, Gvardiol, sorry, I'm not saying that right. Oh, well. Um, it's one of those hard ones to pronounce anyway. That's all right. Yep. Uh, but yeah, great finish at the end. Uh, Reese James puts it in, taps it away. That's all you can ask for him. Yeah, 100%. Then Chelsea were not off the hook as Manuel Akanji sent a bullet header of his own into the top left off of a free kick to level the score in first half stoppage time, ending what was a wild first half of contest between Chelsea and City. Then Erling Holland was the one to give City the lead again three minutes into the second half bundling home a Julian Alvarez cross that Robert Sanchez failed to parry and giving birth to one of my favorite quotes from Erling Holland, I think all time as after the match Holland said, and I quote first time ever I scored with my balls. So new milestone for me, <laughs> Erling Holland, ladies and gentlemen can score with any part of his body. How can you hate that man? Honestly. <laughs> and then that's 13 Premier League goals for the season, by the way, for him now. Nico Jackson for Chelsea then leveled the game again after Connor Gallagher's long-range attempt was parried away by Ederson and right into the, his path. Yep, and that is Jackson's uh, fourth goal in his last two games. Uh, that really was a striker's instant goal. You know, he kind of had to be there at the edge of the box. I personally, though, I also feel like Ederson could have handled the shot from Gallagher just a bit better. Uh, he kind of parries it right into Jackson's path. There was no real opposition stopping him. Um, but regardless, a uh, real poachers finish uh, and Chelsea level again in this game. And by the way, one that we talked about earlier on the call plotting for this, Nico Jackson now is what, tied for third? No, tied for fourth in mm -hmm. Premier League goal scoring with six goals. Yep. How has that just happened out of nowhere? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Uh, he struggled early on in the season, I will say. Uh, it looked definitely like he was missing in Cuckoo a bit. But it also almost feels like Cole Palmer has almost absorbed that Nkuku role that we saw in preseason. He's starting to create those passing lanes for him, him and Gallagher. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's really, he's really starting to find his feet now. I'm happy for him. Then we have four minutes from the game being over. Rodri pushing City ahead with an effort from outside the box that took a massive deflection off of Thiago Silva and rifled into the bottom left. And then Rodri celebrated that goal like he had just won the World Cup for Spain. <laughs> Happiness did not last long for City, however, as five minutes into stoppage time, Ruben Diaz took down Armando Broja in the box with what you have to say is a silly tackle for a center back of his quality. Very silly um, tackle. I was a bit confused why you're going to ground there. There's really no reason. But anyway, you have gone to ground, and now you've given Chelsea a penalty and Cole Palmer an opportunity to step up and equalize against his former club. And you have to say, uh, the nerves on that man are incredible. You know, a, a penalty, 95th minute against your former team, the team you came through the ranks with, uh, that takes some nerves to steal. Uh, I think 
Uh, I think it was Peter Drury had a little quote, which I loved. Uh, it was, uh, che- uh, City's boy is Chelsea's man. Yep. As much as you know how much I uh, I despise Peter Drury's commentary sometimes, but that was actually pretty good. Chelsea's or City's boy is Chelsea's man. I that thought was, was actually a pretty good line. Pretty cold, I will I'll say. give that one to him. Yeah, and I mean, overall, Connor, wow. What a game. Um, if you told me at the start of this game that Chelsea would go toe-to-toe with arguably the greatest side in Europe right now, um, I would have been a happy man. Honestly, there's so much to talk about. Um, if you ask me, Phil Foden, for starters, I thought he was excellent in this game, especially in that first half, picking up the ball in those pockets at the edge of the box and cutting into that left foot. He looked dangerous. As much as Phil Foden was impressive, the one thing that I want to talk about from this game is that Raheem Sterling, of all <laughs> players on the field, Raheem Sterling appeared to be the most impressive player on the field for a good portion of that game. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen somebody embarrass Kyle Walker at outside back more than Raheem Sterling did in that game. I haven't either, to be honest. You know, he was embarrassing Kyle Walker. Uh, he he megged Jeremy Doku, too, in one of those mazy runs he had. Uh, it almost felt like uh, Sterling was playing with a chip on his shoulder this game, uh, which I haven't... He had, like, a mentality to him I haven't seen in quite a while. Um, I think it's really funny that uh, him and Palmer, the two former City boys, were the one that was doing the most damage for Chelsea. Um, but, you know, no complaints, and hopefully he can keep that form going. I think the exclusion from the England national team might have boosted him a little bit, given him a bit more of a reason. Uh, I just hope he turns that anger into goals is all I'm saying. 100%, my friend, 100%. Mm-hmm. But anyways, all I want to say about Raheem Sterling is the last time that I saw Kyle Walker sat on his ass by a winger, I think it's been a <laughs> long time because even Vinicius Jr. wasn't able to do that. To have Kyle we Walker seen him League. get sat on his ass before is a bigger question. I don't know, I don't if, know I if I have. I don't know if I have. We're going to move on from that game, though, to move on to a bit of a Spursy performance in the <laughs> Premier League with Tottenham losing 2-1 to Wolves. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, there's really only one word for this kind of performance, and that word is Spursy. <laughs> you know, um, the great Giorgio Cellini once said, uh, it's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> 100%. Spurs seem to be well on their way to a happy match day. Three minutes in when Brennan Johnson found the back of the net, assisted by Pedro Porro. However, much more back-and-forth game than Spurs probably would have liked overall. Um, the momentum chart from Fatmob for that game was a bit odd looking at it. The momentum was back-and-forth between Wolves and Tottenham for like the entire game, which I definitely wasn't expecting, mm-hmm. considering how well Spurs are playing this season. Also, Pablo Sarabia, who, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I completely forgot was playing his first-team football at Wolves right now. Me too. Pablo Sarabia... Finds the back of the net and the 90th plus one. So injury time and Spurs all of a sudden concede a goal one minute into injury time. And then just six minutes later, Spurs managed to concede another one as Mario Lamina bags the winner in the 90th plus seventh minute. And I think we should bring that back, Connor, real quick because the goal from Sarabia was unreal. I mean, the, the ball was put in, the touch to like kind of cushion it into the air and almost like the immediate first-time volley, um, near post as well, beating Vicario. Um, unreal stuff. Great finish. Um, and then the real sucker punch at the end from Lamina. Um, I loved watching this game. I'm not going to lie. It was back-and-forth stuff. But most importantly, uh, you know me, I love to see Spurs lose. I was going to say, as a, uh, London, a London football fan, I'm sure you're more than happy to see Spurs lose a game on the road. Of course. 
Anyways, we're going to move on from this gut punch from Tottenham, who have gone, by the way, from the top of the table now down to fourth place in back-to-back rough outings. <laughs> Moving on, we're going to move to some South American World Cup qualifiers where the action this week was crazy, starting with Argentina 0 to Uruguay. And the impressive unbeaten run for Argentina has finally come to a crashing halt against none other than Marcelo Bielsa's Uruguay. <laughs> Leeds fans are in the mud right now. Bielsa ball reigns supreme, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> also, this match was moved to La Bombonera, home of Boca Juniors, instead of the Argentina national team's home stadium, El Monumental. Why, you might ask? A Taylor Swift concert was in town. <laughs> Listen, I've got absolutely nothing against Taylor Swift. Um, I respect what she does in the music industry, but I find it a bit odd that Messi... Lionel Messi and the Argentinian national team were kicked out of their own home in order to accommodate her. I do have to say, I'm a, I'm a bit surprised by that. Uh, all but all respect for Taylor Swift. Um, I would like to ask her to put her World Cups on the table, though. That is my one question. Bring the, bring the World <laughs> Cups and then we can talk. <laughs> uh, but anyways, moving on. Um, yeah, it was a very fascinating game, honestly. Argentina held 63% of this possession, took 12 shots, only three on target. Meanwhile, Uruguay held 37% of possession, uh, took six shots and two on target. But in classic Bielsa style, both of those found the net. Yeah, 100%. That's just a a pure classic Bielsa ball performance for you. Two shots on goal and two goals and you win the match (laughs) 2-0. That's just the way Bielsa operates for those Mm -hmm. of you who weren't aware. Mm -hmm. But yes, also in this game, it was Matias Vigna that really impressed the Uruguayan left back. On the first goal, whipping a service across the box to Ronald Arujo, who made absolutely no mistake in smashing that thing back across the far post. However, before he whipped that service across to Arujo, he went toe-to-toe in a shoulder-to-shoulder battle maybe five or six times with Nahuel Molina by the corner flag (laughs) before eventually shoving Molina off the ball, taking a big touch past him, and then absolutely whipping that thing across the box, giving defenders no chance whatsoever at it. Yeah, you know, I think we always, we do talk about the fact that South American football is so instilled in, like, you know, grit and that pure skill ability. Uh, and I think he showed that toughness. Uh, and it was it was really incredible. You know, I think we were both watching the footage back. It was literally five or six times he goes shoulder to shoulder, crashing into him. Uh, and even when he won the ball, he still had to shake him off to get by him. Uh, so great effort by him on the first goal. 100%. And then guess what? Our Lord and Savior, Darwizzi. <laughs> Darwin Nunez scores a breakaway, burying uh, the ball between the legs of Emmy Martinez to put Uruguay 2-0 up on the night and send the final nail into the coffin for Argentina at La Bombonera. And that is also Argentina's first loss in Conmigo qualifying in, I believe, 25 games. Uh, I know it is definitely their longest unbeaten streak in Conmigo history. And Emmy Martinez hadn't been scored on, like, period. No, I don't think so. In a long amount of time with the Argentina national team. So definitely a very impressive performance for Marcelo Bielsa and his Uruguay national team. 100%. Another crazy game in South American World Cup qualifying, though, as Colombia took down Brazil 2-1. to one. Insane result. Um, I wouldn't have seen that coming if you asked me before the end of the start of the game. Um, and I'm also, also a bit shocked, honestly. I watched, I was watching the highlights back, and 
You know, Brazil looked in control for a lot of that game. And then Colombia, you know, it was, a, I believe, 73rd and 75th minute, uh, something in that range. Within the space of, I think, four minutes, just bang, bang, two quick punches. Uh, and Brazil just did not, just look honestly confused. They didn't know what was going on. Yeah, 100%. Brazil took the lead early, only four minutes into the match, through a connection between Vinicius Jr. and Gabriel Martinelli. So Gunners fans will be happy to see Martinelli scoring with the national team. However, all seemed relatively quiet until the script was written. (laughs) And then once the script was written, there was no stopping it. As Luis Diaz scored a first-headed goal in the 75th minute to draw Colombia level, and then just four minutes later scored a second header, a world-class header, managing to whip his head, connect it with the back of his skull, and send the header perfectly off the ground and into the top corner of the net. So, like... I've... It's it's almost otherworldly, almost. It, it looks like witchcraft when you look at it back. No matter how many times you watch that second Luis Diaz header, like each time I watch that goal over and over again, I wonder more and more how he made that contact <laughs> each time. It, it, it's incredible. He literally almost, he, he just snapped, snapped his head, his head back. back. And I've, I've never seen someone get such clean contact on the ball like that. The best part, though about this whole scene and the reason that I called it a script is because Luis Diaz's father was present in the stands just a short time after being released by his kidnappers in Colombia. So Papa Diaz was sobbing on the floor with his arms up to the heavens after watching his son score twice in four minutes to sink a very impressive Brazil squad. Yeah, you know, I got to say, Connor, uh, we, we talk about, I know we go to a film school, we talk about scripts all the time. I don't, I don't think Hollywood could have written a better script than this. This was quite literally the perfect ending uh, to the saga that's been surrounding the Diaz family in the past couple weeks. 100%, and a result that they will certainly remember for a long, long time coming. And one of the reasons you have to say why football is, in fact, the beautiful game. Of course, We're going to move on to our last breakdown match where we're actually going to switch it over to talk about some women's football for a change. Indeed we are. We had had an NWSL final, Nandan, between Gotham FC and OL Reign. Indeed we did. And before we start, can I just say uh, that Gotham FC has to be one of the coldest names I've ever heard in world football. I don't know how many names can beat that. Uh, Incredible name. But anyway, let's talk about the actual football Um, Gotham FC did eventually come out on top as champions of the NWSL just one year after finishing rock bottom of the table. Uh, That is an incredible turnaround. And for those of you not aware of the MLS and the NWSL system, let's put it in European terms for you. It's the equivalent of uh, Leicester City, let's say, uh, getting relegated and the very next season coming back to win the league. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So yeah, this was... um a bit of a bit of a storyline very early in the game as OL Reign forward Megan Rapino was playing her final game of her career mm-hmm. and Gotham FC player Ali Krieger was playing her last game of her career so we had two US women's national team legends mm-hmm. on the biggest potential stage to end their careers on but only one of them was going to come out victorious yep especially lining up against each other with Rapino on the wing and Ali Krieger playing at center back so it was really it, it was meant to be a storyline for the ages Unfortunately, uh, it was not going to be that way. 
No, no, it was not. As uh, Megan Rapino went down off the ball within three minutes of the game starting um, with what we now know is a torn Achilles tendon. So that is an absolutely brutal ending to her playing career. Indeed. Um, it was a, a very brutal start of stuff. You know, I think you could see it on the bench. You could see it in the players how crushing it was. And I think that played a role psychologically as well because if you watch the first half, Gotham were dominant. Um, besides the one goal from the rain, um, Gotham did not look like they were going to give this game up anytime soon. Um, and it did get started eventually after 24 minutes of domination from Gotham. Uh, Lynn Williams opened the scoring following a mazy run from winger Midge Purse. Uh, taking out four defenders down the sideline before squaring it to give Williams an open tap-in. And I believe, Connor, we were watching the video back. We were. That that run was absolutely unreal from Midge Purse. Yes. She torched four defenders. Sent them out of the shops. Made them look absolutely silly. Mm-hmm. And then rain. the rain did respond very shortly after, though, through Rose Lavelle, uh, who snuck in behind Gotham's very high line. Uh, before slotting in for a massive counterpunch. Um, that didn't go long, though. Gotham continued the press after that. Uh, actually, I believe almost maybe three or four minutes after that sequence, uh, they hit both the post and the bar um, off two consecutive shots in the space of three seconds. Um, Delaney Sheehan and Midge Purse were running that midfield with some excellent interplay. Um, additionally, though, the rain did have another good chance in the half. Uh, Jordan... Whitma, I believe, uh, who you may remember, Connor, um, was yeah. dating Byron fullback Alfonso Davies for a brief period. Yeah, I do remember that. Throwback those days. of a name. Uh, put the ball in the net for the rain, but she was called back for offside. Uh, and right in first half stoppage time, World Cup winner Esther Gonzalez gave Gotham the lead with a textbook header off a corner, uh, giving them the edge going into the second half. The rain then seemed to get back into the game in the second half with U.S. Women's National Team star Rose Lavelle having some flashes of brilliance in the middle of the park. Um, But the rain continued to press on but couldn't find a way past a very stark Gotham defense led by Allie Krieger. Five minutes into stoppage time, a bit of an odd one here, a long ball over the top caught the Gotham keeper Mandy Haught in no man's land. And after a VAR review, she was sent off for a handball just outside the box and for denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah, and after that, uh, they were given a free kick just outside the box and uh, for the rain. And Gotham defender Neely Martin had to go in that, which was a very bizarre situation. Um, defending a free kick just outside your box with a midfielder in net. However, uh, Rose Lavelle hits the free kick straight into the wall and the final whistle blows. Yeah, 100%. So we talked about this before, that handball outside the box. Mm -hmm. I honestly think by touching the ball outside the box with her hands that Hawk has just saved Gotham the NWSL title. I 100% agree. I think it definitely was kind of like a Luis Suarez type situation from the 2010 World Cup. Although I do want to come back to that free kick very briefly just because... I was a bit baffled at the fact that you have free. They had a free kick from just on the left end of the box. Yeah, you had two right footers and Rose Lavelle, a left footer who yep. takes a very wide run up, uh, and you would think it makes more sense to just take the right footer and drill the ball towards the open end of the net, put it yeah. on frame, and then Rose Lavelle ends up taking it and just hits it straight into the wall. Yeah, um, we we talked about this earlier, man. 
just hit it on target. Mm-hmm. You've just got put it on an, frame. You've got an outfield player in the goal. <laughs> Force the outfield player to have to make a save. Don't make their job easy. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you going to take that opportunity and just smash a ball into the wall instead of, even if you hit it softly but putting it on target, you're still going to force them to have to make a save, and, and then, then maybe there's a rebound. That crash you the rebound, up. yep. So yep. yeah, just a very, very odd ending overall. Not a lot of strategy went into that free kick from the rain, um, and I think that they were running out of time and they felt it mm-hmm. um, in that moment. Some other big news out of women's soccer. So congratulations to Gotham FC for claiming the NWSL title. And, and congratulations to Ellie Krieger on her retirement. And 100% retiring on the highest pedestal. Two World Cups and an NWSL title. That's a pretty good way to go off. I would say so. I think it's also nice that we have an opportunity to talk about some women's football for a change here in the studio. 100%. Um, Also, some other news out of women's soccer and our last kind of breakdown news for the day. Chelsea women's manager Emma Hayes has been named the new manager of the U.S. women's (sighs) national team. And her resume with Chelsea women's is a bit ridiculous, if we're being honest. Talk about someone who's going to come in and cultivate a winning culture again within the locker room. I think that the U.S. Women's National Team finally have found a proper replacement for Jill Ellis. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, Emma Hayes, she's been so instrumental in the starting of Chelsea's women program and the structuring. Uh, I forget her exact resume, but it includes uh, six women's Premier League titles. Uh, I think a couple of FA Cups here and there. Oh, 100%. Uh, a A women's Champions League final appearance two years ago. Um, so overall an incredible career for her, uh, sad to see her leaving the Chelsea women's team, but excited to see what she'll do at the U S yeah, a bit of uh, a bit of an odd one. Um, but like a bit odd that she's leaving Chelsea at this current period when they're, you know, still doing so well. But I think that ultimately she has a new opportunity to really recultivate this U S women's national team. And actually she did put out a statement. It was practically about the lines of the fact that she was driving four hours to mm. and from uh, the training grounds every day. And, you know, she has a young son and she wants to spend time with him. So I think it's a personal decision. Uh, I fully understand and best of luck to her. Yeah, 100%. Hopefully we see the uh, women's national team back to some form, especially with the Olympics looming. 100%. We're going to jump through some of our quick fire notes. Uh, we're going to try to get through some of these pretty quickly. We're going to skip some of the... Uh, international games that happened on Tuesday and Thursday and focus a little bit more on the league matches from the past weekend um, as we're about to do some league rankings in our special uh, segment for this week's episode. So, Nandan, do you want to take us away with Sunday's quick-fire notes? Yep, 100%. Let's get right back into it. So, uh, Sunday, we're going to start with the Premier League. Uh, first off, Arsenal 3, Burnley 1. Uh, Zinchenko, Saliba, and Trossard all score for Arsenal in a convincing win over Burnley. Uh, Zinchenko notably scored an absolute screamer uh, with an acrobatic kung fu kick. Kung fu kick, yeah, if you will. Kung fu kick, if you will, from the edge of the box. Uh, great result overall for Arsenal. Uh, and Burnley continue to struggle at the bottom of the table. Uh, moving on, Crystal Palace 2, Everton 3. Okay, we have to talk about Everton right now. Deitchball currently cannot be stopped. Everton have won three of their last four games since being blanked by Liverpool. However... They have just been docked 10 points by they the have, Premier, yes. by the FA. They have. Um, so interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that affects their kind of mentality going forward for the rest of the season. Now, you know? I think it'll make them angry, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, and you know, next game, United-Everton, uh, in at Everton, uh, next game, a, an angry Sean Dyche team. Uh, a United loss feels inevitable there, if you ask me. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, Man United won Luton Town nil. 
Uh, United dominated most of the flow of this game, uh, but there's clearly some chemistry issues going on, uh, and they only managed one goal against a very subpar Luton team, but they got glad, the job glad done. Glad that you said that as a Chelsea fan instead of me <laughs> saying that as a Liverpool fan. That wouldn't have come off well. Would not have come off well. I have the right to say that. Anyway, moving on, Bournemouth 2, Newcastle 0. What has happened here? Uh, I'm not sure if Newcastle are rocked by their Champions League form or by the bright lights of the Champions League, uh, but this is not the Eddie Howe side we're used to seeing. Uh, it's a very weird loss, especially to his former team, Bournemouth. Yeah. Very bizarre. Definitely. Moving on to La Liga, uh, Rayo Vallecano 1, Girona 2. Guess who's still top of the La Liga table? Not Barcelona, not Real Madrid, and not Atletico, but Girona, whose magical Cinderella run continues. Uh, moving on, Almeria won, Real Sociedad 3. Sociedad left this one very late with two goals in the five minutes of injury time, carrying this, them past Al- Almeria, and Sociedad now find themselves sixth in the table. Uh, moving on, Real Madrid 5, Valencia 1. This is one of our prediction games for the week. Oh, yeah. um, I very cheekily went 1-0 Valencia, and that aged very well. Uh, no Jude Bellingham, no problem for Real Madrid. Laying down a beatdown on Valencia, a brace from both Vinny Jr. and Rodrigo, along with Danny Carvajal getting in on the action. Uh, Always a good day when Danny Carvajal is scoring goals. (laughs) So overall, just great result for Real Madrid. Uh, Moving on to Serie A, Lecce 2, AC Milan 2. This was a very fascinating game. Another disappointing bump in the road for Milan, uh, where Lecce scored two in, I believe, either the 70th minute or the 90th Mm -hmm. minute. Either way is... Two quick-fire goals to bring them back. Yeah, and you have to say that a big win against PSG in the Champions League clearly was not enough for <laughs> AC Milan to get the band back together again. Clearly not. <laughs> Moving on, Juve 2, Kyrie 1. Kyrie did pull a late one back in this game, but Juve are able to hold on with the extra goal in the final 15 minutes and grab another important three points, now just two points off Inter Milan at the top of Serie A. Uh, switching over to Germany in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich 4, FC Heidenheim 2, another brace for Harry Kane, who, as much as it pains me to say, might be on pace to break Lewandowski's Bundesliga single-season scoring record in his first season. Yep. Um, They might have to ask him serious defensive questions of themselves, though, conceding two against very poor opposition, newly promoted opposition. 100%. Uh, Moving on, VFB Stuttgart (laughs) 2, Dortmund 1. Wow. I am very upset about this one personally. I had written down 2-1 Stuttgart in our predictions and then and last then minute, it. If, while you guys spoke, I changed it to 2-1 Dortmund. I am fuming. Uh, but regardless, a Sirho Garassi penalty in the 83rd minute was enough to get them over and drop Dortmund to fifth in the Bundesliga, who I now will never be picking in my predictions again. Thank you, Dortmund. Moving over to France in League One. Rem nil, PSG 3. Uh, Kylian Mbappe's hat-trick and Monaco's draw mean that PSG now find themselves back at the summit of Ligue 1, but Nice are still only a point behind them, so still very tight at the top of Ligue 1. Uh, And as we just stated, Le Havre nil, uh, Monaco nil, a rough scoreless draw for Monaco who have opened the door and let PSG top of the table. And that is all we have for Saturday. Moving on now to the Sunday, November 12th news. Back to the Premier League. It's Aston Villa 3 and Fulham 1, but... Unai Emery plays boring defensive football, right? (laughs) By the way, Aston Villa have now scored 28 goals in the Premier League this season, one better than Liverpool and only trailing the mighty Manchester City. So, Villa fans, good evening. 
<laughs> Brighton won. Sheffield United won. Brighton are another very confusing team to me recently. What are they? They go on the road in Amsterdam in the Europa League and dominate, smashing Ajax on the road, and then they return home and they can't pick up three points off Sheffield United at home. I think personally the wind has been taken out of the sails a bit at Brighton at this stage of the season. I haven't been impressed with the Zerbi so far this season after last season's magic. And we'll go into that later as well. 100%. Liverpool 3, Brentford 0. Mo Salah nets a brace, scoring his 200th goal across English football. That is absolutely mental. Diogo Jota added an extra goal for insurance, and the Reds' defense was able to hold for the remainder of the match despite a few scares. Next up, though... Man City at the Etihad, 7.30 in the morning, fresh off of an international break. Talk about whiplash. Yeah, that one should go well, shouldn't it? <laughs> West Ham 3, 2 Nottingham Forest. Forest put up an impressive fight on the road, but Thomas Suchek ultimately wins it for West Ham in the 88th minute. Jared Bowen also scored again today and is now tied for third in goal scoring in the Premier League this season with eight goals along with Youngman's son. You know, I talk about my FPL a lot, but uh, Jared Bowen doing bits for me over there. So cheers, mate. We're going to move to La Liga where it's Barcelona who got a 2-1 win over Deportivo Alaves. Barcelona allowed one of the quickest goals ever in La Liga history, allowing Deportivo Alaves to break on the counter right after kickoff, finding themselves 1-0 down before the scoreboard was even put up on the stream. <laughs> So they scored literally the score bug popped up in the top left corner and Barcelona were already down one nothing. Jesus Christ. So to have to think about that one for a minute. How quickly <laughs> how quickly that happened. However, Bar- Lewandowski came back to save the day for Barcelona scoring a brace to net all three points for them. Bit of an odd one though. What's going on with Barca? Xavi apparently said that the media is getting to his players heads and that they aren't being allowed to settle and just play their football. You're professional footballers. Don't let the media get to your heads. You're playing for Barcelona, one of the biggest teams in the world. You know things are going to be said about you. Put your heads down and play your football. I have to say. Simple as that. I, I love Xavi and all. I think he's done great for Barcelona. But he has been quite the crybaby uh, as a manager. And I would love if he just got his players together and started playing. Yeah, 100%. Also in the Liga, Sevilla tied Real Betis 1-1. I keep asking this question, but I keep seeming to get no real answer from them in return. Sevilla, what are they? They aren't (laughs) impressive in the Champions League. They aren't impressive in La Liga right now. Not really sure what the direction of this club is at the moment. They've still got lots of work to do. Atletico Madrid beat Villarreal 3-1. Gerard Moreno put Villarreal up 20 minutes in, but Atleti are so deadly at home this season, aren't they? Axel Witzel tied it up before halftime, and Griezmann and Samuel Lino win it in the 80th minute with insurance goals. Serie A, Napoli 0-1 in Poli. Rudy Garcia has been fired by Napoli after this result, a very bad loss at home for Napoli. Fiorentina 2, Bologna 1. Bologna's unbeaten run comes to a crashing halt on, a road, on the road against Fiorentina, who not for nothing have been somewhat impressive in Serie A this season. Udinese won, Atalanta won. Udinese are an odd team this season as well. Very inconsistent in terms of results, but capable of going and killing the giants of the league on any given day. <laughs> Weird situation. Lazio 0, 0 Roma. A boring scoreless Derby della Roma, but at least I predicted a draw and managed to secure a point this week in the predictions where no one else could. <laughs> Inter 2, 0 Frosinone. Inter keep up their league-leading form as goals from DeMarco and Chalanoglu are enough to pick up another important three points. Over to the Bundesliga, where Leverkusen beat Union Berlin 4-0 at home. 
Union Berlin have also officially parted ways with their manager after this match, but did so very emotionally, thanking him for everything that he has done for the club and the new heights that they achieved with him at the helm. Unfortunately, things this season just haven't gone Union's way, and everything is going Leverkusen's way this year. RB Leipzig 3-1 Freiburg. Xavi Siemens and Louis Sapenda continue their impressive runs of goal-scoring form as Leipzig now move ahead of Dortmund into fourth in the Bundesliga table. Only news we have from Ligue 1 from Sunday. Oh my God, Olympique Lyon have won a competitive football match. (laughs) The world is ending. Lyon have won their first game and it's November. Unbelievable stuff. We should throw a celebration right now. 100%. We're going to also talk about a couple of notes really quick from the U-17 World Cup. The U.S. youth national team has now won both of their group matches so far, scoring five and only allowing two versus South Korea U-17s and the Burkina Faso U-17s, but face a very tough test against a French U-17 side that hasn't conceded yet at this World Cup. Striker Nymphasa Brachimus has scored three of the U.S.'s five goals in this tournament so far, despite only being 15 years of age. The Charlotte FC youngster is making quite the name for himself at the U-17 World Cup and reportedly as a result has big European clubs already monitoring his development for a potential move to one of their academies. And let's just take a minute, Connor, and recognize that all of these people are younger than us. These are children. Yeah, we've uh, we've gone wrong somewhere <laughs> in our lives to be sitting here in the studio instead of playing at the U-17 World Cup. Should be us. For me, it's probably just an effort thing. For you, it's probably a knee problem thing. <laughs> More than pretty much a knee problem, yeah. All right. We are going to throw it to a short break now, but don't go anywhere because we are going to bring you our special segment, grading the first quarter of Clubs' season so far, and we will be right back shortly. So don't go anywhere. We are back in the WECB studio, and it is time, Nandan, to grade the first quarter of Clubs' season so far. I am very, very excited for this one. We're going to start off in the league we probably know best, which is the Premier League. So we're going to start with some of the best contenders so far in the Premier League, starting off with Arsenal. What do we grade Arsenal's first quarter of the season so far, Nandan? Connor, I think we give Arsenal uh, an A- minus for the start of the season. Uh, they finally got over the hurdle of Manchester City being them 1-0, which was a massive result. However, they've been very inconsistent at times. Dropped some big games to both Newcastle and they drew a Chelsea team in which they were very poor for 70 minutes. Also struggling a bit uh, from fighting in the UCL, I would say. Maybe some uh, rotation issues. Yeah, I would say so as well. Next up, Man City. I'm going to give Man City a B so far this season. I expect them to be a bit more hot after their Champions League success. They suffer in this ranking a little bit, I think, from how high they've set the bar after last season. Yeah, and I think you can also argue that because they've won the Champions League, they may not have that big thing to prove anymore, so maybe the standards have dropped a little, but they do suffer from how successful they've been the past couple years. Let's get to Chelsea, Nandan. (laughs) Why do you grade Chelsea's first quarter of the season so far? So I'm going to be a bit harsh. I'm going to give them a B-. minus. I think they've been horrible at home, 14th in the league at home, uh, but they've made life living hell for the top six, being fourth in the league away from home. Uh, Poch just instilled some insane mentality in this young team, uh, and I'm very excited to see how his project takes shape in the next uh, three-fourths of the season. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to Man United, 
<laughs> what did we give Man United for a grade, Nandan? Connor, uh, this was probably the easiest one, I would say. Not the easiest, but pretty easy. We gave them was, a... No, it's okay. We can be honest. This was probably <laughs> our easiest grading of the entire grading system. We gave, we gave United a hard C. Uh, they've been finding ways to get points, but their performances have been far from convincing. Uh, they've also done atrociously in the Champions League. Uh, and chemistry is in the bin for this team. Not only is the chemistry in the bin, but it's also set ablaze. It's on fire. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Moving, Moving on, on, I have given Liverpool a B-plus so far mm. for their first quarter of the season. They're grinding out results that matter, but they've been far too inconsistent in defense. I think there's too many games where we concede first to a worse team. And also, the other thing Liverpool have been very inconsistent with is finishing our good chances. I think mm. we squander too many good chances a game right now. Fair enough, fair enough. Moving Next up, on. Tottenham. <laughs> Tottenham, we have given an A-, minus, which I think, in all honesty, it would have been an A if not for that chaotic London derby and the horror show versus Wolves this past weekend. Also, you have to say for Tottenham, missing James Madison until the new year is going to be absolutely devastating. Not to mention, they're also going to have uh, Mickey Van Deveen out for an extended period with a hamstring injury, so that is going to struggle for them. Who's been one of the better center backs in the Premier League this season, of without course. a shadow of a doubt. Without, by far. Aston Villa next. What did we grade Aston Villa's season, Nandan? They're the, we, the best grade in the Premier League. Yeah, we gave Aston Villa an A. Uh, they've been among the highest goal scorers in the league, and they also boast one of the best goal differentials in the league. Uh, they've been a, a formidable threat in the season uh, This in this Premier League. And in the in the conference league, excuse as well. me, yeah, excuse me. Oh, UEFA Conference League. Uh, Emery has his eyes set on silverware. It appears. West Ham are up next, where we have given West Ham a B. More impressive than maybe was expected out of West Ham after their uh, bit of a horror show last season, but nonetheless, a great turnaround after last season. Bowen is scoring goals for fun, and James Ward-Prowse seems to be finally having fun with his football again. Indeed. Last but not least, our last kind of Premier League highlight that we wanted to give a grade for was Brighton. Yeah, we gave Brighton a C plus, uh, which is that they're a team that were capable of smashing Ajax and Amsterdam, but incapable of beating the bottom half of the Premier League. Uh, I think we both, Connor, expected a lot more from the Zerbi, especially after the season they had last year. And the fact they added Ansu Fati to this team. That's, I think, what disappoints me the most is that Brighton, we're ignoring the fact that they have Ansu Fati right now. Mm. And they're just not getting the output that they would have wanted from him, maybe. Um, I don't know if that's his fault or if that's the Deserby system's fault this season, but I think just overall there's one or two missing links there, 100%. potentially. Mm-hmm. We're going to throw it over to La Liga now, where first up we're going to start with the big three teams, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid's up first. They have gotten Nandan. And A-. Bellingham has carried for most of the season so far, but they seem to be just fine without him as well. The only reason they probably don't get a full A is because Girona exists this season. 100% Connor. Moving on to Barcelona, Connor. What have we given Barcelona? We gave Barcelona a B. Probably scrapping more results than they would like to. Um, They've already conceded more than half the goals they allowed all of last season. Lots of key injuries, but again, we probably expected a lot more out of a Xavi side. And a lot less talking in the media. (laughs) Moving on. Atletico Madrid, Nandan, what grade have they gotten? We've given Atleti an A-. They've been an extremely formidable uh, attacking team, which is not expected from a Simeone team. We haven't seen this before. Uh, Antoine Griezmann is having a renaissance of a season, proving again why he's one of the best in the world. And it looks like we have 2018 World Cup Grizzly back. One of the best players in the world. 
Indeed. Girona have gotten an A+, the best record out of anybody so far in La Liga. And one of few teams to get an A-plus this whole round. Yes, I think we've given two clubs an A-plus for their start to the season so far. One of those is Girona, who absolutely are the biggest surprise in La Liga and among world football in whole. They're top of the league only two years after being promoted again, and most of the goals... They have most goals scored in the league and are fending off the likes of Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Incredible scenes for a newly promoted team. Mm -hmm. Moving on off of Girona, we're going to move to Sevilla. Sevilla have gotten (laughs) our worst grade of any club in this grading system. We have given Sevilla a D. Again, I'm going to go back to what I said before. What the hell are Sevilla this season? <laughs> what are they really fighting for? They're 13th in the league. They're bottom of the Champions League group. And all after bringing in the leadership of Sergio Ramos. I don't think this is necessarily how they planned that move working out now and done. And, you know, usually, Connor, I, I've also noticed there have been seasons in the past where Sevilla have been awful in the league. But they qualified for the Champions League the previous season. They go third in the group and then end up winning the Europa League to mask their terrible play. Um, I don't know what's happening this season. I'm honestly confused. It's not even a, a hard group this season either. I mean, Arsenal are in there, for God's sake, and you're not qualifying. <laughs> yep. Betis have gotten a B. Not overly impressive, but also not inconsistent necessarily in any way. They're playing some solid football, and Isco has rediscovered his Real Madrid form, which is certainly exciting for world football fans. Sociedad, our last team in La Liga. Nandan, what have they gotten? We've given Sociedad a B plus, probably not doing as well as they would like to in La Liga, but they've somehow qualified for the UCL knockouts ahead of schedule. Uh, and Takafusa Kubo has been balling this season, so seems 100%. like a fair result. Yeah, throwing it now to the Bundesliga, where we have I think a little bit less teams to run through here in the following leagues that we're going to get to. Starting with the Bundesliga, though, we have Bayern getting a flat A. Yeah, Connor. I we, gave them an A- minus at first, but then I changed it to an A because if we're being honest, Bayern are just as dominant as ever. Harry Kane is having an absolute monster season, and they still find themselves second in the table, only behind Leverkusen. They're comfortably top of their Champions League group and among the favorites to win it. They've now gone, what is it, 38, 39 group stage games without defeat in the Champions League, so mm-hmm. I think it's harsh to give them anything but an A. Mm-hmm. Next up, do you want to take us through Dortmund, Nanda, since love, you're such a Dortmund fan recently? I would love to take us through Dortmund. Uh, we've given Dortmund a C. I, quite frankly, would love to give Dortmund a D so far, but we figured a C is a bit more fitting. Uh, they were pushing the top half briefly, but it seems to be out of the window. Uh, they somehow are topping the group of death, but have been very unimpressive in the Bundesliga. Smashed by Bayern, just recently lost to Stuttgart. Um... I don't know what's happening in Dortmund. I could not tell you, but I think a C is probably more fitting than I prefer it to be. Yeah. Moving on to Leipzig now, where we have given Leipzig a B. Xavi Simmons and Lois Appenda's goal-scoring run is impressive, but I expect a bit more, I think, from Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Probably not as impressive as they have been in recent memory. 100%. Moving on, we have Stuttgart, who have gotten one of the best ratings in the Bundesliga from us. Stuttgart have gotten what, Nandan? Stuttgart have gotten an A. They've not been, we're not entirely sure where they came from, but wow, have they come up. Uh, an impressive start to the season with Sirho Garassi scoring goals like they're just falling from trees. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, 100%. Um, Leverkusen have gotten the best rating out of all the clubs along with Girona. 
Leverkusen are our only other club that have received an A-plus grade. Xabi Alonso has completely revitalized this team, scoring goals for fun and looking absolutely incredible. They're also the only unbeaten team in the Bundesliga not named Bayern Munich. Also worth noting that Granit Xhaka is currently one of the best facilitators in all of world football. I don't know where that's come from. I don't know what Xabi Alonso <laughs> did to get that out of Granit Xhaka, but that certainly wasn't the Granit Xhaka that we saw at Arsenal. This this Granit Xhaka renaissance needs to be studied, Connor. I'm telling you, this is some stuff for the ages. All right, moving on. We've got Frankfurt, our last team in the Bundesliga. And Nandan, what have Frankfurt gotten? Frankfurt have gotten a B, Connor. Um, they're starting to pick up some form again recently. But overall, very unimpressed after their after their run in the Europa League in recent memory. So, a B it is. I think fair. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to Italy and Serie A, where we have Juventus up first. I think Thomas's favorite Italian team. So a bit of a bummer he's not here to grade this one with us. Mm-hmm. However, we've given Juventus an A minus. I don't think anyone really expected them to challenge the top this season, but I don't see them sustaining this form much longer to keep up with Inter Milan. Speaking of Inter Milan, Inter Milan have gotten an A, impressing at the top of the Serie A table, and have qualified for the UCL round of 16s early. Can't ask for much more than that. Also, Lotaro Martinez is talking about wanting to extend with Inter for many more years to come. Mm-hmm. So all good news for Inter. Let's get to Milan, Nandan. What had Milan gotten? Yep, crossing the pond from Inter to uh, to AC Milan. We give Milan a B minus. Question mark? Question mark on the minus. Indeed. We're not sure how we feel about B minus or B. We're not sure because uh, they somehow managed to beat PSG in a vital game in the UCL. And despite being heavily off the pace, still sit third in Theoriseria. Um, a bit of an odd one to rank, but we're going to go with a B minus question mark. Yeah, B minus question mark is, <laughs> I think, the proper grading for that. <laughs> Next up, Napoli. This is a very disappointing one, isn't it, Nandan? It's very disappointing, Connor. We've given Napoli a C plus. Uh, they haven't been nearly as impressive as they were last year when they won the Scudetto. Victor Rosamond isn't scoring as much as he wants to, and uh, Rudy Garcia has already been sacked. Um, and by even, November. By November. And even K- Kvitska Kvartskalia. Kvaradona. Kvaradona has not been firing. Probably not as, as well as they would have hoped this season to go for Napoli. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Roma. We have two Roman clubs up last in Serie A with Roma and Lazio. And we also have Fiorentina in here as well, but obviously that's not Rome. So, Roma first. We've given Roma a B-, as Lukaku is scoring goals for fun again, but the start to the season was very lackluster for Jose Mourinho, and they aren't playing as well as expected in the Europa League, sharing the top spot in the group with Slavia Prague. And I think also just lost 2-0 to Slavia Prague. I believe so. Moving on, Fiorentina, Max Demel's favorite, (laughs) one of Max Demel's favorite teams. We've got a B for Fiorentina, top of their Conference League group and picking up some impressive results in Serie A this season. Last but not least, though, Lazio. What have we given Lazio, Nandan? We've given Lazio, Connor, a, uh, a C+. Plus. Uh, for a team that's been absolutely atrocious in the league this year, they've somehow been causing a stir in their Champions League group. Um, a late winner versus Celtics, I, I think, <laughs> yeah. right? Late winner, the Pedro late winner versus Celtic was absolute drama. So Indeed Lazio are another odd one, man. Kim- mm-hmm. Horrible in the league this season, but somehow causing headaches in the Champions League. Yeah. Their goalkeeper, wasn't it? Yeah, the goalkeeper that scored in yeah. the Champions League. That was, that was Lazio as well. Yep. So yeah, what what weird one. Pure man. cinema. Weird Pure one. cinema. Last but not least, we have three clubs to rank from Ligue 1 in France. So, PSG, 
B for PSG, back on top of League One as expected, but dropping some odd games in the Champions League, losing to both AC Milan and Newcastle. Monaco, Nandan, what have Monaco gotten? Monaco, Connor, we've given them an A-. They've been very impressive in Ligue 1, uh, and they've had some extra energy and focus after finishing outside of Europe this season, so an A- for them. Last but not least, OGC Nice, who I completely forgot about, have also gotten an A plus Indeed. in our ranking system. Third team. Currently unbeaten in league on this season and were an absolute dumpster fire near the end of last year. So this is an incredible turnaround for everyone in the organization. Also, they boast one of the best defenses in all of Europe, having only allowed four goals through 12 matches. Yeah, Connor. And I'm pretty sure if they keep on this track, they would concede Something in the range of, I think, out of 38, you can see a goal every three games. That's going to be under, I think, that's not a lot of goals conceded. Yeah, that's going to be looking at roughly 11 goals conceded in the season. Yeah. 12. Which is like, that's about 2008, 2009 Chelsea numbers. That's yeah, unreal. That's crazy. All right. That is all for our grading of the first quarter of the season for teams so far. So we are going to throw it now to Honker of the Week. <laughs> This week's Honker of the Week is quite a prize, as this week's Honker of the Week has been awarded to Marcus Taram for a very painful reason. Get ready for this one. This is a direct quote from Marcus Taram himself. One day, I went to see my father training in Barcelona, obviously talking about his father Lillian Taram. I wanted to go out onto the pitch and play with the other children, but I didn't have boots with me. Messi, who was about 19 or 20 at the time, was wearing almost the same size shoes as me. I was a 38, and he was a 40-41. Oh, no. He lent me his boots, and we were done playing. Messi told me, take them. At 10 years old, I didn't realize what had just happened. The next day, I gave that pair of boots to a friend. I regret it uh, every day. Uh, Connor, before, before we even get into the, the metrics of giving away Messi's boots... Uh, can I just bring up the fact that uh, 10-year-old Marcus Turam was having a bigger shoe size than 19, 20-year-old Lionel Messi? That is bizarre. <laughs> 10 years old. I I detect... I, that doesn't sound entirely accurate. Yeah. Ouch, man. Ouch. Talk, talk about one that'll leave some scar tissue. Giving away a pair of Lionel Messi's boots from his prodigy era at Barcelona. <laughs> Can you imagine getting a pair of Messi's boots and just giving them away in modern day? The individual responsible would be absolutely crucified by the world football community. <laughs> I can tell you, uh, I would not let myself see the light of day if I let myself give away a Lionel Messi signed or worn ne- pair of boots. Neither would I, my friend. Neither would I. <laughs> Last but not least for the show today, it's time for predictions at pace. Thomas has given us his predictions for the games already, so we are going to start with Euro qualifiers, where it's going to be Netherlands versus Ireland. Oh my! We talked about this game earlier, Connor. The fact that. Uh, Ireland have a better shot of qualifying for the Euros if they lose to Netherlands in this game. Uh, so this is going to be a very fascinating result. Let's go into our results. All right. I say it's going to be 3-1 Netherlands. Thomas is saying 3-0 Netherlands. You know, Connor, uh, I went very ambitious last week, and I went 0-5. Um, I feel some magic in the air, though. I'm going I'm going 1-0, Nether- 1-0 to Ireland. Nandan takes Ireland in that game. Next up, Scotland versus Norway, where Thomas has said that this is going to be an exciting 2-2 draw. I think that this one is going to finish 2-1 to Norway. 
And I think that uh, the Scottish R9 is going to come up in this game, and it's going to be 2-1 to Scotland. Awesome. Next up, Brazil versus Argentina in World Cup qualifying. That should be an exciting game, and I say that this one is going to be 2-1 to Argentina. I'm also going 2-1 to Argentina, Connor. Never going to be a high-scoring game between <laughs> Brazil and Argentina, is it? Nope. <laughs> Next up, Greece, Greece, not Greece, Greece versus France in the Euro <laughs> qualifying. Greece have been impressive, but so have the French. Thomas says it's going to go 2-1 to the French. You know, Connor, I'm just going to provide some context real quick. Um, if the Netherlands lose to Ireland uh, and Greece beat France, uh, Greece... They would put themselves, not auto, they wouldn't automatically qualify, but they would put themselves in a better qualifying position than the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And so... Being me again, um, I'm gonna go one nil. I'm gonna go one nil Greece. <laughs> I'm actually gonna say this is gonna go two one to Greece, but I think that's just because Greece are playing at home. Mm, fair enough. Um, next up, we've got PSG versus Monaco in League One. Yeah, Connor. Um, I think I'm pr- I'm probably gonna go two one PSG. Um, Monaco have been great, but I think PSG ultimately just have the better team overall. All right, I'm going to say that this one is going to go 2-0 to PSG. I think that, like you said, PSG are finding some form, and it's going to go their way in this game. Mm-hmm. Thomas also says this one's going to go 3-0 PSG's way, so everyone favoring PSG in that game. Unfortunately, that is all of the football-related content we have been able to cover this week with a weird mixture of league fixtures and the international break. I do have a shout-out to make unrelated to football before the show's over. My brother from another mother, Jackson Mulder, who lives in Ohio, has a younger brother, Maxwell, who just got his first-ever children's book, The Billy Bilby, by Maxwell Mulder, published. It is now available for purchase on Amazon, so don't be shy to go and grab a copy for family or friends as we near the gift-giving season. From talking to Jackson, I know how hard his brother has worked on this project, and I am so proud and absolutely thrilled that he's starting to chase his dreams at such a young age. The next week of football-related action also looks a bit rocky, if I'm being completely honest with you, with a whole lot more international games coming up. So we may be taking a look at shifting around some of our formatting for next week again to do maybe a Thanksgiving special episode, since we'll be recording that the day after here in the studio. With that being said, that's all we've got time for today. I, as always, have been your host, Connor Donovan, joined by my football-loving friend and amazing co-host, Nandan Nair. Nandan, any messages before we go? Um, I mean, again, I guess uh, congrats to your fr- to your um, your brother, your your friends, yeah, the younger brother, my friend's Max. younger brother. Yep. So, congrats to Maxwell. Um, congrats on the book. Uh, go buy it. And um, yeah, honestly, that's all I have to say. Um, enjoy the festive period. I awesome. Guess. Awesome, man. Well, we hope that you will join us all right back here next Friday. What is that going to be? The 24th? 24th of November at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to get a bit messy with us here in the WECB studio. But unfortunately, that is all we have had time for here today on Getting a Bit Messy. (laughs) 